All right. Welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for taking some time with me today. I hope that you are feeling the blessings of God. I hope that in your life, as you are endeavoring to serve Christ, as you're endeavoring to grow in Him and uh, learn of His ways, that you are seeing the Lord working in your life, that as you exercise your faith, you can recognize God as He works and moves in you. I am uh, so very grateful for an opportunity to yet again come and, and to share some thoughts that I have with you. I want to thank every one of you. I've had uh, several people uh, recently reaching out to me about this podcast, thanking me for it, and uh, my topic today is as a result of one of the suggestions from one of my listeners, and so I want to uh, share my appreciation for that. I do want to uh, tell you that you know this is something that I am so very uh, passionate about about calling men to Christian manhood. It's something that is so very important, and I want to remind you, just as I have every single podcast, that our God is a God of purpose. He knows what He's doing. I believe that with my whole heart. I, I recognize that he, He's able to do things, and He orchestrates lives in such a way that He's able to bring us to a spiritual and oftentimes a, a, a physical success, because God knows what He's doing, and He knew what He was doing when He created you. You know, this podcast and, and, and this podcast channel is, is dedicated uh, truly to calling men, but I know I have, I have ladies who listen as well, and while some of the specifics to manhood are, are, are obviously focused only on men, there are these things that we talk about that I talk about here that, that are overarching in terms of, of taking responsibility and, and your spiritual walk and all of those things. And also true is that God has a purpose for you, and He knew what He was doing when He created you. He created each one of us with purpose, for a purpose, and a God of purpose knows how to get us where He wants us to go. And we must hold on to that. We have to hold on to that. You know, uh, as we talk about uh, Christian manhood, remember this, that dogs also bark at what they don't know. Uh, because this this uh, this aspect of manhood has been so so beaten down and destroyed, diminished and washed into into uh, non-existence. It's been uh, sabotaged by Satan. It's uh, looked down and it's made fun of. You know, Hollywood shows men to be stupid buffoons and idiots and overweight, stupid. All of these things. You know, when somebody rises up and tries to set that good, uh, godly. Christian example of manhood, it's understandable that people are intimidated, they're concerned, they're afraid. This is your opportunity. I mean, in every aspect of our Christian walk, we are surrounded with opportunity, opportunity to bring a glory to God, to shine a light for Christ. This is this is what our responsibility is. And, and for all of you who are listening to this, if you claim Christ, if you claim uh, to believe in Him and to be a follower, your life is an opportunity. Men or women, your life is an opportunity to show something that this world has not been seeing enough of. And it has an effect. And when you begin to to show those Christian aspects of life, when you when you challenge yourself to make those changes, and it becomes evident, you know, it changes. The Lord changes the way you think, and He helps you when you act, and what you should say, and what you shouldn't say, and how you have compassion for others, and all of these things. You make a difference. There are so many things. I've I've thought about this, and there's been sermons preached on it, and I consider it. You look through the scriptures, and so many times, the entire course of a country, of a nation, of a group of people was changed by the efforts of one 
person. So you have an important role, and don't ever forget that. God put you and purposed you for those things. But we know what we're trying to do as Christians, what we're trying to do as Christian men, it's something that, that the world is not comfortable with. We have an opportunity to show them something better. I want to remind you of these aspects of a man that I feel like are so important that we consider them frequently. You, you know, we consider them that a man of God, a man of Christ is a man of action. He does not sit idly by. He doesn't see sin uh, ravaging those who he's responsible for and do nothing. He doesn't recognize within himself his own failings and do nothing. He's willing to attack sin. He's willing to attack failures. Action means if you see some sort of an issue within yourself, maybe you go to someone. Maybe you seek out your mentors. Maybe you go and you talk to your ministry. Whatever it is, you take action. Because our Christian life is all about work. You will never, ever be free from work. You always must work. A man of God is a man who accepts and desires responsibility. God, as he created you, man or woman, it came with a set of responsibilities. And the further you go in life, you begin to accept more responsibilities. And that is God's purpose. He wants you to. Because with every responsibility that you take hold of and you own, you have an opportunity, like I already spoke of, to shine a light for Christ. But not only do we accept the responsibilities that come with being a man or being a husband or being a father, but we should desire responsibility. Don't ever forget that beautiful example in the book of Isaiah where he's having this vision of him standing before the Lord and the Lord cries out, who are we going to send? Who will go for us? Who can speak for me? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I'm willing to take that responsibility. I want that responsibility. And a man of God not only accepts it, but he desires it. He desires it. He should be be, be that one who his boss at work looks to. I can trust that he will take care of this because he's shown himself responsible. A man of God is a leader. He leads from the front. He is visible. He's the one who's setting the standard. He's not staying at the back. He's not letting everybody else do the work for him. He's setting the example. One of these mentors, these, these men in my life who is so very valuable to me, you know, uh, at our church, in all of our church functions, a lot of times we, have, we will have meals, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen him ever not be last. He wants to make sure everybody else gets taken care of. It's an example he's setting. He's leading. I want to make sure that everybody else's needs are cared for before mine. That is the mark of a leader, and it's visible and you see it. And being a leader is so very difficult. It's so very difficult for a Christian. It's so very difficult until we begin to do it and we accept every bit of the criticism and every bit of the blessing that comes with it. We become convinced of why it's important. But a man of God, he's a man of leadership. He leads from the front. And that last thing that every time you hear me, you know I'm going to say this because it's so true. A man of God is a man of expectation. He's convinced within his soul that there is a reason why all of this is worth it. It's that same reason that over the, over the years in our country that men were willing to volunteer to go to almost certain death because they were willing to defend the ideal of freedom. They were willing to defend their loved ones. They were willing to do all these things because they had an expectation of something good. There is a reason for sacrifice. There always is a reason 
for sacrifice. A man of God is driven by expectation. All of this is worth it. The blood and the sweat, the, the lost hours of sleep, the being willing to make changes to yourself, the, the making efforts, sometimes efforts that feel like they're fruitless for other people. We do it because we are men of expectation. Do not ever forget these things. So let's talk today. We're going to talk about loneliness, and this is something I was requested to talk about this, and you know, I realize it's been a while since I've done a podcast, you know, and and as you look, today is June 3rd, and uh, you know, it's been nine years today that my my dad passed away. You know, I I think about him. uh, I think about him a lot. My dad was a, uh, a man who had a lot of things that I truly admired, but my dad was also a man who struggled very much with loneliness and all of the effects that it can have on a person. And uh, loneliness is something that uh, has a great effect on us. And, and I want to spend some time today kind of discussing this because I know that, that many of you who listen to this, there's some of you who are single and you struggle with loneliness. Some of you uh, may not have a great amount of friends. Uh, some of you might find yourself because of your work schedule and things. I remember uh, many years ago when I worked, uh, I was a tech in an emergency room and I worked nights. And so I would work from six at night till six in the morning. And I picked up overtime all the time. And, and it would be oftentimes that I, I didn't have an interaction with people outside of my coworkers for days and sometimes weeks at a time. And, and I became very lonely. And it had a profound effect on me uh, mentally and emotionally. You, you know, we, we are social creatures. People are social creatures. We can get into this introvert and extrovert and all of that. And some people don't need interaction as much as others. But we are social creatures. There is no arguing that, and I believe that we were created as such. You know, there's something that's interesting to consider. You look in the beginning of your Bible, and you see that, you know, uh, Adam was created. You know, we know that he had an interaction with God. He and God had a relationship. But even despite that, and, and I'm, I'm under the assumption, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of, of, of freedom here to make the assumption that Adam and God weren't constantly around each other. You know, Adam had stuff that he was doing, and certainly God was doing things, and and while they they had obviously an interaction together, you know, even so, God looked at Adam and he recognized that he needed something more, that it wasn't good for him to be alone. And I think sometimes we take that particular verse to mean that it's not good to not be married or to not have an intimate relationship, and I don't believe that. I'm going to talk about that in this podcast, but I do believe that we were never meant to be alone. We are social creatures. We were meant to be such. And and I think right now, so we're just coming out of this COVID-19 coronavirus lockdown that many, you know, that most of the world, unprecedented, the world has been locked down. And throughout the United States, you know, people confined, encouraged to confine yourself to your house. Perhaps now we are beginning to see how much the, uh, the, interactions with people around us are important to our mental health. I make this prediction, and I'm not anybody who's who's some brilliant psychologist or anything, obviously, but I think in the coming weeks and months that we are going to to see some real spikes in things that, that I mean, our president and, and many healthcare uh, uh, people throughout our nation and throughout the world were warning about, you know, increases in substance abuse, increases in uh, suicides and all those things, because being alone, being isolated, 
being secluded, being lonely is not the way that people are supposed to be. And it has a negative effect. I, I want to, you know, just tell you this, and, and I have a strong opinion on this. I realize that some people will disagree with me and 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 bring and bring up all sorts of contrary arguments. But if I look simply at and what I have read in the scriptures that the Lord caused to be written, God never has called us to be alone. With very few exceptions, and only for a very limited time, do we see that God called people to be all by themselves. And I can think of the most notable one being the time when God sent Elijah to be all by himself in the wilderness, and it was for his safety. But it was only for a time. The entire message of the Bible, the entire message of Christ, if you look at the overarching thing that is there, it's about being together. We're supposed to be together. In the end, we're going to be together. And like one of our brothers who was preaching the other day said, in that day, I do not believe we're going to be six foot apart. (laughs) God has called us to be together. And God has not called us to isolate ourselves or to go off in the wilderness. He hasn't called us to do that. You don't see scriptural evidence of that. On the contrary, we see that God calls us together. Solitary confinement is considered to be so potentially dangerous that the UN has declared that solitary confinement is cruel, inhumane, and may amount to torture. Because the effect that it has, that being alone has on a person, is profound. I like to watch in my in my family, my boys and I, we like to watch these survival shows. And there's one in particular called Alone. And if you've seen it, you see that they, they usually they'll send 10 people out in some wilderness area, and they're going to leave them there. Now, uh, every once, you know, once a week or something like that, they're going to have interaction with a camera crew and a doctor who's going to come in, just make sure that they're healthy. But if you watch, they keep their conversations limited. And for the most part, these people are all by themselves. And it be begins to have an effect on them. And, and and I'm trying to think of which of all the seasons of Alone, how, how long the longest person was there. I want to say that like the longest they lasted um, before everybody else quit and a, and a winner was declared was somewhere in the neighborhood of three months. And if you look at after interviews with some of these people, they talk about how very profound that loneliness was. And it began to mess with their head. And they began to have all sorts of, of psychological problems because we are not meant to to be alone. And there are things that we can do. I realize right now as we're in this time coming out of this coronavirus uh, lockdown and everything, you know, churches and people, you know, have tried to find ways. We have we have a real benefit through digital, uh, through the technology and computers, you know, that, that for our church, you know, we can live stream so people can watch and, and take in a service and a sermon or a study. There, you know, these various uh, sites where you can interact, Zoom and all of those things where you can actually talk to each other and see to each other and, and see each other. You know, these things have become very good. But let's understand this, is that that is not an exchange for being around people. It certainly is a help, and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna make the statement that it's that it's bad or negative, but it is not an equivalent. Watching something on TV is not the same as doing it. You watch a football game, it's not the same experience as you playing football. And let's let's not fool ourselves into thinking about it. And and most of us would say that if you have 500 Facebook friends, you don't really have friends. I'm not trying to say if you have a friend who you're only able to communicate through text message or or someone who you who you've uh, built some sort of a of a relationship through conversation in, on on a Facebook or something like that that it means nothing. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God called us to be together, and I believe God knows what He's doing. 
There's something that's interesting. I, I found this article that was in the Indian Journal of Psychiatry, uh, and the title is Loneliness, a Disease. And the article says, researchers have found that loneliness is just as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Lonely people are 50% more likely to die prematurely than those in healthy social relationships. Loneliness reduces your immunity, which can increase your risk of disease. It's reported to be more dangerous than smoking. A high degree of loneliness precipitates suicidal ideation and parasuicide suicide, Alzheimer's disease, and other dementia, and adversely affects the immune and cardiovascular system. It's generally accepted opinion that loneliness results in a decline of well-being and has an adverse effect on physical health, possibly through immunological impairment. You know, that's really interesting when you think about it. And a good portion of that particular article was kind of talking about um, elderly people and about uh, how profound loneliness becomes when you when you start talking about elderly people who who, because of their inability to get out, and things like that, or they're in retirement homes or, or care homes, you know, that, that they become more and more isolated and alone, and it has a, a profound negative effect on them. But, but it has a truth that rings throughout, okay? And so I want to talk about some things now when it comes to loneliness, and I want to ask this question, is, you know, what is it that breaks loneliness? T- togetherness, right? Interaction. Why are we lonely? We're lonely because we, we don't have relationships. We don't have interaction with people. You know, I'm going to first talk about the answer that a minister should give, because this is the right answer. And I don't want to diminish this, but there are some, some, some things that need to be considered around this. But you know, our relationship with Christ and the presence and the working and the moving of His Holy Spirit are able to take us through all things. And if you look throughout Scripture, and in the lives, perhaps, as you look back throughout Christian history and things like that, we know that people were able to endure great things to include isolation and, and terrible treatment and all that, because they were sustained and uplifted in their relationship, their interaction with Christ and the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. And I never want to diminish that, because that is so important. If you truly want to feel a fulfillment in your life, it comes with the things that I that we're trying to talk about in here about about a greater sense of purpose that comes through Jesus Christ that that comes with a God and an all powerful God who knows every one of your needs and how to address them. But it takes effort on our part. Having a relationship, any relationship, which is which is the how to combat loneliness. Okay, any relationship takes effort, and a relationship with Christ takes effort, and and to have the the interaction of the Holy Spirit takes effort. It involves an inviting, and it involves a, a quiet, and it involves a, a, a petitioning, and it involves endurance as you're trying to to uh, to seek Him. It inquire it requires great change. It requires examining yourself. These are all difficult things, and it all has to do with you. I believe in a God because because I see it in Scripture and I know it uh, from my personal experiences that, you know, so often I've, I've recognized looking back that God was just waiting for me to get my act together, and He had things to do with me, to give to me, to answer for me, to sustain me in. He was just waiting on me. I wasn't waiting on Him. He was waiting on me. And so, you know, I... I'm not going to spend a lot of time here in this podcast talking about how to build your relationship with Christ, because how can I build on what we talk about every Sunday service and every Wednesday night, and what is what is talked about through numerous podcasts and numerous uh, sermons that you can access, and writings and all of those things? We should know 
we should know how we can grow in our spiritual walk. But every bit of it takes effort, and if you're not inclined to work on yourself, you cannot ever hope to to break a cycle of loneliness, to, to have success in your life, or anything like that, you know. Anything worth doing is worth putting effort into it. And you know, in the book of Jeremiah, the the Lord, he tells the people in the 29th chapter, you know, he says, I know the thoughts that I think of you, thoughts of peace, thoughts of good, not of evil. I want to give you an expected end. And he says, and if you call on me, I will hear you if you call on me with your whole heart. So if you want to build that most important relationship, the one that will sustain you through all things with Christ. It takes an effort of your whole heart. It's not casual. God is not a microwave. We don't get to just press cook, and in a minute we get what we want. It takes effort on our part. Anything worth having is worth effort. Let's talk about relationships with others, with family and coworkers. How, you know, how do we do this? So I've got several things that I want to talk about here, but one of the first things I want to talk about, I just finished talking about effort, and I want you in your life, okay, take some ownership of yourself. Own yourself. And what I mean by that is, is if there is something that you find is lacking, Don't be looking at others. Look at yourself. What if you found in your life that people don't tend to like you? So I know for myself, I have a lot of of friends, but I also recognize, and I recognized this years ago, and it's been a process of trying trying to, to work on this, is I know that I can be dominating in a relationship and in conversation and things. I know I can. I know I can come off as being arrogant. I know I can, and I know that puts people off. I know that I can come off uh, being very passionate about things, which a lot of people can can misinterpret as being frustrated or angry. So I know some of these things. And knowing these things, I, I try over and over again. Um, and, and I try to consider this, you know, and I've prayed about it, okay? Some of these things in my character that that can inhibit a meaningful relationship, that can turn people off. Lord, would you help me? Would you help me? You know, I found that that I, I I've gotten so much better at thinking before I just spit out whatever's in my mind. And it's something that has taken effort on my part. I have to take ownership of this. I can't expect someone to want to have any sort of relationship with me when I am uh, a braggart, when I am um, corrosive in the things that I say, when I'm not considerate of others' feelings, when I'm only about myself, I want to share what's going on in my life and never consider what's going on in yours. You know, all of these things. These are some things sometimes that we fall into and then we don't realize why people don't want to be around us. You know, you have to take some responsibility for that because every relationship requires trying to figure out how to make it work. It's always a give and take. Any of you who are married, you know this, and you've done it, or your marriage has crumbled. Because we can find ourselves able to get along with just about anybody if we're willing to give some and to take some. But if you have found you know, that you're struggling in relationships, I want you, the first thing you I want you to do is I want you to begin to take a deep look, get a, what is it this kind of uh, stereotypical to say, take a deep dive into yourself and take a look. Are there things in your character? It, it requires total honesty with yourself. Are there things in your character that do not invite meaningful relationships, okay? And now what do you do about it? Maybe it's maybe part of those things in your in your character is you're timid. That's something that's there. You're shy. You have a hard time wanting to wanting to put out effort. You know, you've been you you've been hurt in the past. You've been turned down in the past. You've had, you know, all of these things. I mean, I realize that happens, okay? 
But we have to take ownership of ourselves if we're going to have any sort of relationship. Because in the end, that's the only thing I can control is myself. I want to go forward here and I want to talk about this. You know, if, if we look in the Bible, we see that the Apostle Paul in several places, and I pulled a couple of them here to read, but you know, in several places, he talks about the characteristics of ministry. And so I want you to think about this for a second. And you might say, well, Adam, I'm not a minister, nor do I intend to be. Okay. But there are some truths that he was talking about that I want to consider here for for a second, because a minister, a good minister, has to be able to connect with people, right, in order to build relationships with them so that they can, you know, to sustain them spiritually. And absent those characteristics that help to draw people in and make you feel comfortable and, and want to share things and be willing to listen and all of those things to a minister, if, if that minister doesn't have those things, no one ever wants to have contact with them. Why would I want to talk to a, somebody who's supposed to be a minister who isn't actually going to hear what's going on in my life? life, who says, yeah, I can talk, but I've got two minutes, make it quick. And, and, and so Paul's talking about this in terms of ministry, but I want, I want you to consider something. These are characteristics that are valuable for everyone to work to possess, okay? So I'm going to read first in the book of Titus, and in the first chapter, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 9. It says, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word that he's been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So some things here, it says that, that, that someone who is going to, be, to, to take a position of a minister, it says they must be blameless. Now that doesn't mean that they're innocent of everything, but it's that they're making efforts so that they're not just, just covered in sin. You know, They're looking at their life and trying to live by a certain example. I personally don't enjoy being around someone who's shooting heroin all the time. Their lifestyle is not one that I truly want to be around all the time. That doesn't mean that I want to give up on somebody who's taken an addiction or anything, but there are places that I don't want to go. Maybe that's something I want you to think about. It says, not self-willed. You know, being willing to hear others and, 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 and not only my way is it, it's my way or the highway. Not soon angry, not given to wine, not, not someone who lacks some self-control, no striker. You know, how many people do we know who they're always on, they're, they're always ready for a fight. Their fuse is just half a second from being lit all the time. No one wants to be friends with them. That person will be a lonely person, even if they have a relationship. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. A lover of hospitality. You know, I, I think about this, you know, in all of these places throughout the Bible where Paul talks about these characteristics of the ministry, he talks about how important it is that they want to be around people. And I realize this is something that takes work because not everybody likes to. For me personally, I am a very social person, but I kind of get to that limit where I'm like, all right, I could use my space now. But but really, we need to work on this in our lives, you know, that if God truly, as I've talked about in the beginning of this, if God truly is a God who calls us to be together, how do I want to be together more? And it's something that I have to spend some time in prayer about, and it's and it has to do with, with the, the desire for interaction and, and with the love for others and and the building of friendships and the concern for others and all of those things. This is what helps us to be a lover of hospitality. It says a lover of good men. And I realize just the phrasing of that sounds weird. I get it. Okay. But what does it mean? That a, that a minister says should should want and should and should take pleasure in good things, in good actions. 
in, in, in wanting to be around people who are trying to do good. Not that they ignore people who are struggling, but that their heart is to be surrounded in and be by good. Someone who is sober, someone who takes things seriously. You know, if we're talking about relationships, we're talking about conversations, we're talking about being intimate with each other, and I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about sharing things that are important, because we're talking, you know, as we go farther, we're going to talk about the difference between a friend or, um, you know, a spouse, whatever it is, and an acquaintance, and part of that has to do with taking things seriously and about intimacy. Sober, taking things seriously, someone who is just, someone who is temperate, someone who is holy, you know, those are things to consider. For a minister, yes, but those are qualities of a person who who wants to have relationships with others. That is the opposite of loneliness, is relationships, meaningful quality relationships with others. 1 Timothy 3, 2 and 3, a bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. He says a lot of the same things there. I'm going to read in the Book of Mormon. I'm going to read Alma chapter 5. 38 through 41. 38 through 41. It says this, And now, my beloved brethren, I've said, unto, I've said these things unto you that I might awaken you to the sense of your duty to God, that you might walk blameless before him, that you might walk after the holy order of God after which you have been received. And I would that you should be humble and be submissive and be gentle, easy to be entreated, full of patience and long-suffering, being temperate in all things, being diligent in keeping the commandments of God at all times, asking for whatsoever things you stand in need, both spiritual and temporal, and always returning thanks to God for whatsoever things you do receive. Some important things that he says there. You hear some very similar things that we heard in uh, Paul say, but he talks about, he says, you know, your duty to God is that you walk after the promises that you have made. And then he calls these things humble. You will never have a good relationship if you are so Someone who is just soaking in pride. All of us have probably had conversations with the one-upper. You know the one-upper? There was a doctor I worked with years ago. I really liked the guy, okay? But he was the always one-upper. And I'm telling you, if, if, I, if I told him that I went fishing, right, in the ocean and I caught a 10-foot marlin, I guarantee you he would say, well, that's nothing. I was out fishing and I caught a blue whale. You know, he always had one-upper. You know, it was about him, you know, I liked the guy, but he w- I had to take him in, in, in small doses because he was difficult to be friends with. It's difficult to be friends with someone who isn't humble. If it's all about you all the time, you know, th- that's not how a relationship is. Go talk to a mirror. Relationship is about interaction. And it's not only true in a marriage, it's true in a friendship with your best friend. It's true with God. God interacts with us. It is give and take. He's a living God. Uh, it says to be submissive, right? To be willing to take things. It's not always about me. It might be about somebody else for a while. It says to be gentle. Easy to be entreated. You know, that word entreated means to be petitioned. You are available, full of patience, long-suffering, all these things. You know, there's such good things to consider there. And then this last scripture I want to read real quick, Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. You know, you just don't get to have good relationships by being a turd. Nobody wants to hang around with a turd because they stink. It's the truth. All of those things that I just read and talked about have to do with you looking at yourself. So if you're listening to this and you find in your life that you are lonely, I'm not accusing you, but I am saying, let's look and see what, what characteristics are there that encourage meaningful relationships. And if they're not present in your life, how do we get them there? 
It's about it's about you working. And this this draws in this aspect of manhood about action. If there's a failing in you, what do you do about it? You know, one thing that I see as a total disconnect in people's minds, you know, I've seen this so many times. I realize different personalities, okay? I am far more willing to go up and talk to people. I am a social person. I'm used to talking in front of groups. I'm used to talking to people. I'm not bothered by that. I realize not everybody sees things the way that I do. And not everybody, you know, it doesn't come naturally to people. I get that. So I'm not trying to be accusatory here. But I have seen something and I've heard people complain about it before and it just makes me scratch my head. And people become upset or they become hurt. You know, they go to some event, you know, and and, and they leave. And when you talk to them again, well, yeah, no no one came up to talk to me. No one came up and said hi. Nobody acknowledged me. And so many times I've asked this question when that's come up. Well, did, did you go up and talk to anybody else? Well, no. How come, why, why do we feel like we have, uh, it's fair of us to put all of our needs on somebody else and not take any, re- any responsibility for it ourselves? You know, one thing that, so my mother-in-law was, was perhaps one of the sweetest people I've ever known. And she was someone who uh, I, I would consider to be probably the most humble person I ever knew. But a good portion of that came because she was so incredibly self-conscious and timid. You know, she forced herself to go and talk to people. You know, Within herself, she would have been more than happy to just cower in the corner. But she forced herself to because she realized that she had to take ownership of herself. If I want to have meaningful relationships, I need to do something. She was such a good example about that. And anybody who's listening to this who knew my mother-in-law knows that it was a challenge for her all the time. She was so self-conscious and it was it was absolutely something she struggled with, but she took it upon herself. Do not be that person who allows yourself to become lonely and depressed and discouraged because nobody has made efforts towards you. Make efforts towards other people. Put yourself out there. I know it's hard. Even even despite my own characteristics that I'm not afraid to talk and to do all that. It's still not always easy for me. I mean, I do remember what it was like when I went, I moved and I had to go to a new high school. And while I had friends there, none of them were in my grade. And it was an enormous high school. And, you know, I had to try to find friends. And it was really hard. I'd I'd never had to try to find friends. They'd always kind of naturally come to me. But here I was in a brand new situation. It was difficult for me. And I finally had to decide I'm just going to do it. And, And things began to change. I don't know how many of you guys have watched. There was that show called Castaways, where basically they took a handful of people and they just stuck them in various places on this group of islands. And they were like, hey, survive as long as you want, but you can leave where you're at. And, and you can gather together with other people if you can find them or whatever it is. It was kind of an interesting show. Uh, the people who survived the longest, they did it together. Those who stayed alone didn't last. Guys, this is so true. It's true in your life. If you seclude yourself, if you don't take some responsibility for yourself to endeavor to be together, you are going to open yourself up to being destroyed. Loneliness is dangerous. It is dangerous. Every one of us have watched the National Geographic videos of lions, and what do they do? They work to separate once their their prey is all by themselves, they are more susceptible to being attacked. There is strength in numbers. This is one reason why, and I'm going to get a little bit on a soapbox because it's my stinking podcast. I can do it. But you know, especially in this time of coronavirus, right? And everybody's been in their house and everybody's been away. Churches have been closed and all that. And I'm, and I'm just absolutely, it's, it's ridiculous. People say, now we're finally recognizing that church is more than a building. Is that so? Is that so? I realize that God is with us everywhere, but there is something important to being together. There is something important to strengthen numbers. 
I was a police officer, and if I knew I was going into a dangerous situation, I did not want to do it by myself. I wanted my brothers with me. Church is more than a building, but it also, it's you cannot be a group. You cannot be a church if you're not together. God didn't purpose us to be all by ourselves. Now, you can be offended by that, and I'm certain that if, if, if some people were to listen to it, they would be offended by me saying that. But if we look throughout the Scripture, let's just take that. There was always a place that God called people together in. They drug around a giant tent called a tabernacle for 40 years through the desert before they went into Israel because there was some central place for the people to worship together. They went into Israel, and they destroyed the people from out of there, and there was a central place that was put together for the people to come together to worship. And the scriptures is full of people who had interactions with God away from the tabernacle, away from the temple, but it never diminished the importance of that. So let's not be so uh, arrogant as to think that there is no, that, that we can be just as strong all by ourselves because statistically it's not true. And I can tell you, I look in our church and I realize there might be some people in our church who might be offended by this. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm trying to call you to what God called us to. Usually when you go and you completely isolate yourself, you yourself might be able to stay strong. It typically doesn't follow from generation to generation. We must consider this. When we are by ourselves, loneliness begins and it begets depression and a lack of sense of purpose. It can start our mind down the path of frustration with others, begin to convince ourselves about the attitudes and intentions of others. And I have that others in quotations, right? They always think this. They didn't talk to me because of this. They don't even care about me. When we're alone and we find ourselves in those places, you know, Satan can have a heyday with us. Having no one to communicate our thoughts with, we begin to be influenced by our own minds without the benefit of the filter of trusted opinions. When we don't make efforts to try to build meaningful relationships, putting ourselves out there, being willing to be uncomfortable, being willing to seek out good people to try to build a relationship with, how many of us know people who have settled? They've married someone who they knew they shouldn't have because they're just afraid to be alone. And I'm going to talk about this in a second, but there is loneliness even in a relationship if it's not built well. But I have a question here, and this is something that's probably closer to the suggestion for this podcast about loneliness. And, and I've, I have this question, does God purpose us to be in an intimate relationship? Is every one of us purposed to be married? That's an interesting thought. Clearly, God set forth man and woman to be married, to be bonded together for a purpose. It was for Adam and Eve's emotional and physical well-being. It is for the continuation of the race. We know that. But is it always necessary? How many people do you know who cannot stand to not have a girlfriend, you know, or, or ladies who might be listening to this? How many Ladies, uh, do you know who can't stand to not have a boyfriend because they are afraid to be alone? And I've said through this entire thing, I don't think we should be alone, but I'm here to tell you that having relationships that are not built on good, Christian, godly, uplifting qualities, it's worse than being alone. You know, Paul makes this point as he's talking in the New Testament. He makes this point, and, and, it, and I'm going to give a real quick synopsis of several verses, but his point is, is that, you know, when we have to share our life's focus to include a relationship with a spouse, 
we have to divide our focus with God. And that and that relationship with God is our true purpose, right? And, and so Paul Paul made the statement, he says, you know, and, and his focus was, he says, I, I'm alone, and I can give myself fully to God. And so my suggestion is, is that you do that. But then, you know, he talks about if you're having relationships, you know, how to do it right. But I, I want to tell you that every relationship you have is going to take work, and you have to give it proper time. That's a relationship with God. That's with any of your friends. You, you must have and give time to every relationship in proper time. But there can be loneliness in a relationship too. Just because you have somebody there who you get to hold hands with, you kiss every once in a while, and maybe you go farther than that, and maybe you're intimate with them, doesn't mean that you're actually having a meaningful relationship. How many relationships struggle? I know there are people who are listening to this who have been divorced. Why did that happen? Sometimes it happens because your spouse says, I feel like I'm absolutely alone even in this relationship. Adultery happens. They try to find some sort of meaningful, some sort of interaction, something to break the loneliness, someone to listen to them, someone to interact with them elsewhere. Divorce happens because, you know, because we feel no connection. They feel no connection with their spouse. Every relationship takes effort. And for those of you who are young, I want to encourage you to take time to build good meaningful friendships before you try to delve into an intimate relationship and before you try to delve into a girlfriend or whatever it is so that you learn what it is to take uh, to put effort into having a true relationship because a true relationship means that you have to take time to talk to them to tell them about yourself so much about what bonds people together and builds meaningful relationships is the exposing of yourself emotionally to them. My wife knows the most deep and intimate things about me because I have told her and it bonded us together. A relationship takes time and effort to listen, not to hear. A car drives by, I hear the exhaust, right? Someone talks to me, I must listen to consider what they're saying and try to absorb it. Okay, what is it that they mean? What are they trying to tell me? What is the purpose of this? We have to get to know them. And this never stops because people, you know, we change. My wife is not the same as she was 14 years ago when we got married. And another 14 years, she's not going to be the same as today. And if I never have another deep conversation with her, she and I will both be lonely in a marriage. We must work to understand the specifics of that person. Your best friend. You know, my friend who asked me to do this, he and I talk all the time. We know each other. You know, I know oftentimes what he's going to say. I know oftentimes what he's thinking because we know each other. It doesn't work. If every time the phone rings, it's all about Adam. I want you to listen to everything about me. It's all about me, all about me, all about me. And sometimes I worry he's going to listen to this, and sometimes I worry that it is more about me. That, that's not what builds relationships. We, we have to work on these things. So if you're lonely, it's time to put yourself out there, to, to look and to put yourself in places where you can find quality friends. I'm going to encourage you to go to church. Not that everybody who goes to a church is perfect, but at least you have one thing in common. I'm trying to better myself. I'm not going to encourage you to go join a gang. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you to go somewhere where there are good people who are trying to make positive moves forward, to try to gain perfection, not that they are perfect, but trying to work towards it. And these things I was just talking about, about how you get to know people, how you build relationships and all of that, you know, this is what makes the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. I am acquainted with many people. I would stop and shake hands. I know their name. I know a little bit of about, about them. One thing that I liked about the police department that I worked on was while it was big, it was still small enough that I knew a lot of people. I was acquainted with a lot of them, but 
so very few people knew things about me that my wife and my close friends know. It, it's the difference between a friend and an acquaintance. It's the difference between a true friend and a Facebook friend. Because you can have a thousand Facebook friends, and I realize some young guys who are listening to this are like, Facebook's for old people. I don't have Facebook, okay? But my wife does, so that's why I know about this. You can have a thousand Facebook friends, and yet none of them are really your friend. Because those things that are important to build relationships and to combat loneliness have never been done. They're not there. I want to finish up here with the other side of this coin, and that is the responsibility that those of us who claim Christ, who would call us to be Christians, have to be available to uh, try to be a part, to look to those people who might be struggling, because we have responsibilities. Okay, As Christians, we have responsibilities to be together, but that's not just sitting in a room together. So I want to think of some things that we read in Scripture here for a second, and I want you to just bear with me here, okay? Romans 12, 5 through 8. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members of another. We're going to read another scripture about this, but understand this, that throughout scripture they talk about that we are all a part of the body of Christ. Okay, Paul in another place, he talks about it as, as if we're looking at a body, and each one is, is, is a different part of that body. Everyone important, and the body only works the way it's intended when everyone is trying to work the way that they're intended. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, everyone members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. All these things, it says that there's these things that the Lord gives us by his grace. Some people, this understanding of prophecy and the ability to, to share these things, ministering and encouraging, teaching, exhorting, all of these things, all of those things happen when we are together. So we call each other together. We encourage one another together. If you are a member of a church group, a church body, you know those people who are fringe, who are probably struggling with loneliness. Do you have some responsibility? 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read 12 through, oh, good night. I put a lot of them in here. 12 through 27. I'll zip through this fast. You guys know I read quick anyway. For as the body is one and hath many members, and the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Confusing sentence that says this, I've got a body, it's made up of toes and arms and legs and knees and, and a calf. Uh, two calves, and uh, I've got nine and three quarters fingers because I stuck my thumb in a table saw a year or so ago, and all of these things. You're right. There's a whole bunch of pieces of me, but they're all one body, and it's the same thing. Okay, he's talking about the church. For by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews and Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. You know, it's not. You don't. If you just saw a leg laying on the ground, you wouldn't be like, "Hey, look at that body right there." It's, hey, why is there a leg just hanging out here, right? It's not a whole body. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, then where were the body? But now they are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more necessary, the members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon those 
we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now you are the bodies of Christ. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. You know, this is very interesting, and it says this. It says, you know, every one of you, every one of you has a part and a purpose necessary. And if we're not together, you cannot play your part. If my leg was amputated, it no longer is of use to my body. And concerning people who are struggling, it says those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. You know, comely is attractive. But it's talking about those things that are working well. They don't have any need. God has has put the body together, having given more honor to those things that lack. That You know, we need to be looking to those things that lack. You know, it's like when I'm running, I've got a knee that that is hurt. It's been hurt for many years. And my whole body limps when my knee is not feeling well. And I try to do things to try to diminish the impact on that knee. Because this is what the body does. And it says, why is it done? That there shouldn't be any schism. There should be no division. But that the members should have the same care one for another. That if one person suffers, if one person is struggling, if one person is lonely, they all feel it. I'm going to read now from the Book of Mormon. I'm going to read from Moroni. I'm going to read Moroni 10, 8 through 13. And again, I exhort you, my brethren, that you deny not the gifts of God, for they are many, and they come from the same God. And there are different ways that these gifts are administered, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And they are given by the manifestations of the Spirit of God unto men to profit them. For behold, to one is given the Spirit of God, that he may teach the word of wisdom. To another, that he might teach the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, exceeding great faith. And to another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, that he might work mighty miracles. And to another, that he might prophesy concerning all things. And to another, the beholding of angels and ministering of spirits. And again, to another, all kinds of tongues. And again, to another, interpretation of languages and diverse kinds of tongues. And all these gifts come by the Spirit of Christ, and they come to every man severally according as he will. And I exhort you, my beloved brethren, that you remember that every good gift cometh of Christ. You know, this whole thing, he says, God, he does these things. He gives gifts. He gives people wisdom and understanding and great faith and experiences, testimonies, seeing visions and all these things, you know, and he says, all these things are there. Well, you know, are they just for you or are they not for the body that we we come together and we share these things with another? That can only be done by encouraging that we come together. It's important. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brethren, if, you, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If there is someone in your life you know is struggling, you have a responsibility. Those people who are fringe, those people who are struggling, to discouragement, depression, loneliness, fulfill the law of Christ. Go encourage them. Bear their burden. I'm going to finish with two last scriptures here. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. He says, let's hold strong to the profession of our faith, what we have claimed that we believe and not waver. He says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we are in a dangerous and a difficult day. This world, we're experiencing things that this world has never experienced before. It is a time of trial, and I think in various ways it will continue to be difficult. And it is a time that if we look around and we see those people who are already struggling, it it may not be a time that everybody grows stronger in. So we provoke one another. We encourage. We pester them to do the right thing, to good works. But I think this is so important. Verse 25. And I preached a sermon about this a couple months ago about forsaking. And and this is something that was important, that we don't forsake coming together. It is important. Being together. Church is important. Coming together. You offer something every time you step in the door. You prepare yourself, even if it's just in, in dressing differently than you did yesterday. You offer something. If you belong to a church like ours where we sing songs in the beginning and the end of service, you offer something. A body is supposed to offer something. My hands have a purpose. Everything else has a purpose. Call the body together. Reach out and encourage those people who are struggling. Be willing to involve yourself. Encourage them to come together. Come be at church. Come sit here. Come to my home. Come interact with me. I care about you. The last one, Moroni, Book of Mormon, Moroni 6, 4 through 6, talking about these people who, who committed themselves to the Lord. After they, that they had been received unto baptism, they were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, and they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ. They committed themselves, and now they were part of the body of Christ. And it goes on. And their names were taken, that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God to keep them in the right way, to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and the finisher of their faith. And now the church did meet together oft to fast and to pray, to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls, and they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Everything that God does and everything that he has called us to and this aspect of being a Christian, even though my spiritual relationship is about me, there is an important aspect that we cannot ignore and that the Lord calls us to be a part of a body. He calls us together. And so as I've ended this, I've been calling to you to be looking out and to see those who are struggling and to pull them in. It is part of your responsibility. It's part of your responsibility to come to church. You don't play football when you watch a football game. Some of these things that we're trying to do right now, I understand what they are. They are a life vest, but they're not meant to last forever. As we draw this to a close, as I'm finishing here, you know, I know loneliness. I I was a guy who was very lonely. I was a guy who I always felt like I needed someone. I needed to be in a relationship. And I think the Lord knew that about me. And and I know that when, when I was feeling such great depths of loneliness, when I came to that point where I examined myself, I realized I was lonely because I was not living the way that I should. And when I began to change those things, my life began to change. And it wasn't too long before the Lord led me to my wife. And I have not been lonely since. But not only did he lead me to my wife, but he led me to him. And in changing and in examining myself and you know, in all of these things that are so important for a Christian, I began to recognize God and how he wanted to be a part of me. And so I, I know this has been long, but I want you to consider all of these things. Maybe this wasn't the angle that some of you, when you saw this title, was hoping that I would go. Maybe I didn't answer your questions. Listen, the only way to break loneliness is to to make efforts to build relationships. Like so many things in life, it is all about you to take the the uh, initiative, to take the action, to put yourself out there, to put out the effort. And we walk forward and we let God bless our efforts when we're doing it with the, with the righteous intents of our heart. 
and I'm going to call you up as I always have. Arise from the dust and be men.